Hey everybody, this is Jamie Nunley, lead pastor of Victory Fellowship Church. Thanks for listening to the VFC Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our free VFC Thomasville app, where you can access all of our messages, sermon notes, announcements, and small group lessons. This app is the easiest way to keep up with everything going on here at VFC. So please enjoy the following sermon. We hope it encourages you in your walk with Jesus and helps you to belong, believe, and become. Enjoy. Uh, Unique is just a kind way of saying weird. Yes, amen. I am a strange bird. Sometimes I don't even understand myself. Um, so I guess the two ladies that, that see that the most are sitting right there. My wife, Sierra, and Cynthia, they'd spend the most time with me. And I'm weird. So thank you for that. That was awesome. Um, I, I'm really excited uh, to be here this morning. You know, Pastor Jamie and then uh, Brandon Oaks from here from VFC are actually on their way to Pakistan. Yeah. So they're um, going to be over there. They're going to be doing some pastor conferences. Uh, for those of you that are maybe new to VFC, um, we, a couple of years ago, planted some churches out in Pakistan. So Pastor Jamie and a team from the church are heading out there um, to check on the churches, to preach at some crusades, to um, preach at some pastor's conferences there. Uh, really, just that, that ministry is, was just a gift from God for those people and for us. Like Literally tens of thousands of people get saved during these conferences. And so if we would, I just want us to pray really quickly for that, quickly for that team. Uh, Father, we lift up Pastor Jamie and Brandon and our VFC team, Lord, as they, they go to Pakistan. Lord, I pray that your protection would be with them, Lord that your love would be with them. God, that they would be uh, just equipped with boldness for ministry in Jesus' name. Uh, we pray for souls. We pray for the kingdom to be, uh, to be brought to the people of Pakistan. And we thank you for the opportunity to minister there in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So I get a really cool opportunity. We usually preach in series here at VFC. We just came off a really amazing series called What Kind of Christian Are You? Um, and it was a challenging one, even for me. So if you guys missed any uh, message in that three-week series, or maybe you just want to listen to it again, you probably should. You could find that on our Facebook page. It'll be on our website or any podcasting platform that you use. Um, but today I get to preach a standalone message. And what I love about standalone messages is I get to talk about, uh, usually what I do is I talk about what God's been bringing me through lately. And I open up that door and I say, hey, has anybody else been dealing with this? Um, and we like, and I like to try to figure things out together. And it has been a very uh, sort of strange season for me and my wife, Sierra. We recently moved to Thomasville, finally, um, after six years. This was, this was something six years in the making. Me and my wife, um, my wife actually grew up in Cairo. I've lived there for like the past 12 years. And, you know, we've been commuting and it's, we've just been in this strange place where we've been, you know, our heart has been here in Thomasville, but our location has been in Cairo. And so uh, this is finally the fulfillment of a promise that God made to us six years ago, man. And I'm the most impatient person in the entire world. So I'm like, I'm reeling the entire six years, like watching paint dry, like when's it going to happen, right? Um, and so we, we moved to Thomasville about a month ago and we're in the process of getting everything settled and, and fixed and in my case, broken at our new house. 
Um, and we're in the process of trying to sell our old house. And so we're in this weird in-between place, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like the ground seems shaky. It's like we're in, we're, we're in the place in-between places. We haven't quite gotten a hold of what the, the full promise from God yet, um, but we've completely left that chapter behind. And it, it just put, it put me and my wife in this weird place spiritually, right? Like we just feel like, man, what is going on here, Lord? I feel like I'm on shaky ground. And and so I figured what I would do, babe, will you hand me that clicker right there? Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about how to survive the wilderness. So the title of today's message is Surviving the Wilderness. And so what is a wilderness season? It's kind of like a Christianese term a little bit. Like you hear it in churches, and if you didn't grow up in the church, you may not exactly know uh, what, what I'm talking about. But a wilderness season is a period in a believer's spiritual life where they may feel isolated, under-equipped, vulnerable, or maybe even unfruitful. So this wilderness experience, like I said, it's this place in between places. And, and one of the indications that you're in a, a wilderness season is that things that used to work don't work anymore, right? Right? Have you ever just been serving God and just kind of going along and doing the same thing and seeing the fruit from that and then all of a sudden that fruit just begins to dry up? It's like your actions and your activities haven't changed, but the way that God responds to those things change and it can bring some confusion. You're like, God, what in the world is going on? I dedicated my life to serve you, but I feel spiritually dry. If you're in a wilderness season, maybe you feel like the presence of God has lifted from you. It hasn't, but it feels like that. Maybe things that used to become easy for you spiritually, or used to be easy for you spiritually, now they're a little bit more difficult. Maybe things that you used to do, like in your prayer life or in your, in your, uh, your worship experience, they used to bear a lot of fruit and you would experience the power and the grace of God, but now you're doing those same things and you don't seem to be getting the same results. Well, if I'm, am I speaking to anybody in here this morning, right? Yeah, a lot of people, like I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, if you said yes to any of those things, you may be experiencing what the Bible refers to as a wilderness season. And when you're in a wilderness season, it can be very confusing. It can feel like, man, I'm on some shaky ground. Maybe I even did something wrong, but there's something I want you to know about the wilderness season, the wilderness season is a good place to be. In fact, it's right where God wants you because it is in the wilderness that God teaches you the skills necessary for the next season of breakthrough in your life. The wilderness is where God trains you and equips you for the next level of authority that he's called you to. Without the wilderness, there can be no promise because without the wilderness, there is no preparation. The thing is, is that spiritually speaking, God works in seasons. You've probably heard that term before. It's, it's periods of time in the believer's life, and there's different levels of anointing, different levels of power, different levels of grace during those seasons. But when God is calling you into something great, oftentimes he will show you that great thing and then push you out into the wilderness. And you're like, God, what is going on? 
Like my whole family was supposed to be saved. I was supposed to be, I was gonna be a ministry team leader this year, but now I'm just not, what is going on? But the thing is, is the wilderness is a good place because the wilderness is where God equips you for that next great season in your life. You can't look at the wilderness season as a place of isolation, even though it may feel that way. It's a place of training. The wilderness is a training ground. And if you've ever felt this way before, you are in great company because the Bible is full of people. That's actually where we get the term wilderness season from. In fact, there are so, and I'm about to go down a list of people that have had a wilderness experience, but this is only half of them. The first one is Moses. Moses got like the double whammy. If you know the story of Moses, when he was in Egypt, he committed a murder and then was out in the, was sent or fled out into the wilderness of a place called Midian for 40 years. And then he had the burning bush experience with God. And then God calls him back into Egypt to set the people of Israel free, right back into the wilderness. So Moses spent a total of 80 years wandering around in the wilderness. And we get sad when it's two weeks feeling spiritually dry. <laughs> Lord, it's been, I just haven't cried in worship in two weeks. What is going on? This man spent 80 years in the wilderness. So who else had a wilderness experience? David, King David, the greatest king from the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, the anointed king of Israel in 1 Samuel 23. God, the Bible says that David fled into the wilderness. See, David was anointed king, but had not yet taken the position. So what essentially was happening was God said, hey, this next season of your life is gonna be incredible. I'm gonna make you king over Israel. You are the man after my own heart. You're going to establish the nation of Israel in ways that King Saul never could, but I'm not gonna give you the position just yet. And so what happens? King Saul finds out, gets irate, tries to kill David. And the Bible says that David fled to the wilderness. But for David, the wilderness was not a place of isolation. It was a place of protection, right? So Moses, the wilderness was a place to prepare for the promise, right? For David, it was a place to prepare for his calling. The wilderness for David was a place where David could be exposed. See, there were things in David that not David didn't even know was there, but it was in the wilderness that God exposed those things and trained him to be the king that called him that God called him to be. Who else? Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament had a wilderness experience because his is actually one of my favorite because during his wilderness experience he gets really hangry. He goes to God and he's like, Lord, I just want to die. Just let me die out here in the wilderness. And then God responds, bro, you just need to eat. Just eat something. You ever been there before? Man, oh man, like, oh, I just want to die right now. And then you get, you like get some chicken wings and you feel so much better. I had that experience yesterday. But Elijah had just performed this amazing miracle. He had taken out the prophets of Baal, these, these idolatrous prophets. And then uh, the queen at the time, Jezebel, got upset. And so she wanted Elijah dead. So Elijah fled into the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that the greatest prophet of the Old Testament learned to actually hear from God. It's in that still, small voice, if you remember that story. And I encourage you guys, go back and read these, man. These are incredible stories. Um, who else? Jesus! What? You're telling me Jesus had a wilderness experience? Absolutely he did. It's in three of the four Gospels. 
Three of the four gospels, Jesus was actually, the Bible says, led by the spirit into the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness that Jesus' identity as the Messiah was solidified. Jesus had a wilderness experience. God required him to go through this in order for Jesus to fulfill the thing that he came to do, die for our sins. So if Jesus had to do it, guess what, guys? We do too. And who else? Finally, Paul. So Paul had a wilderness experience after his conversion. It actually happens in like Acts chapter 7, but he talks about it in Galatians chapter 1. Um, it says he went to uh, the desert in Arabia for two to three years um, and learned from the Lord and heard from the Lord and, and, and learned about the gospel. And it was during this time in the wilderness that God was preparing Paul to bring the gospel to the entire world. Paul wrote two-thirds of the Old Testament, ministered to the entire known world, and God had him go through a wilderness experience in order to prepare him. Guys, the wilderness is integral to your spiritual growth. If you find yourself in a wilderness season, don't be upset, don't be dismayed, press into it, because it is in the wilderness that God takes things that we think are optional and makes them automatic. You hear what I'm saying? God, in the wilderness season, God takes spiritual things that we thought were optional and makes them necessary, right? Prayer, fasting, worship, practicing the presence, all the things that we do when we feel like doing it in the wilderness, they're the only things that allow you to survive, right? And so in the wilderness season, God solidifies those disciplines in your heart to prepare you for that next season where those things are necessary for your survival. Think about it like this. We have a lot of military men and women in this church. Um, and we have a lot of uh, people in professions that require you to wake up really, really early. My bread guys, where my bread guys at? My milk guys, I ran a milk route for like five years, man. And, and there was one thing that anytime I talked to uh, someone like a military personnel or someone that had, you know, usually had to wake up super early for their job, it doesn't matter. They could be out of the military for 10 years, but they're still waking up at like five o'clock in the morning, right? It's because Uncle Sam took something that was optional and made it mandatory, right? And there was something about doing it over and over and over again that solidified it in their heart. So now you have people like in their 30s or 40s and 50s, they're retired from the military and they're still getting up at five o'clock in the morning. But they take a nap at like two or three. Don't let them fool you. Don't let them fool you. They're taking a nap, okay? Right? And so it is in the wilderness that God takes things like prayer, practicing his presence, worship, Bible study, fasting, those things that we think that we do at the beginning of the year in order to have a blessed year, he makes it a part of your actual lifestyle because those are the things that train you up and give you the strength necessary for the thing that God has promised you in the next season. The wilderness is necessary. The wilderness is not a place of prosecution, persecution. It's a place of provision. See, oftentimes we get it mixed up. We think, man, if I go into the wilderness, I don't, like if I were in, if, if I were uh, uh, banished to my kitchen, like there would be plenty of things for me to do by myself, right? I could go into the, I could raid the cabinets. I do that already. Eat all the candy, right? And in the wilderness, you think, oh, there's nothing out there. God provides. See, in the wilderness, it's where we get rid of our own self-reliance and we begin to rely on God. We see this with the Israelites in Exodus. They, they escape slavery from Egypt. God parts the Red Sea through Moses. They get out there and they're like, what are we going to do? And God 
provides manna from heaven. He provides quail for them to eat. Multiple times, there were like miraculous water events where God provided water for the Israelites. Guys, the wilderness is not a place of persecution. It's the place where you learn who the true provider really is. And guess what? It's not you. It's God. The wilderness is the transition from bad to good and from good to great. Maybe you're newly saved. Maybe you're new in your relationship with God and God is trying to break some some dysfunctional habits, some dysfunctional behaviors and beliefs. He takes you through the wilderness to take you from that bad place into that good place, from that place of slavery to that place of full dependence on him. What about you people? And you're like, man, I I think I have it all. I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm not doing drugs. Read my Bible a couple times a week, right? God doesn't want you to settle for good. He wants you to be great. And in order for you to get to that next season, there's got to be a season of preparation in your life. And this is especially true in the story of David. See, David was anointed king. I want you guys to understand that. So Saul, King Saul is the king of Israel, the first king of Israel during this time. And then uh, the prophet Samuel comes and tells David, we're anointing you king of Israel, but you can't be king yet. How difficult of a place is that to be, to know what your future position is, to, 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 to be anointed by a prophet for this position, but to not yet have that position and to have to be in this place in between places. That's because there were things inside of David's life that needed to be worked out. And in 1 Samuel 24, verses 5 through 6, it's a very interesting story. So David had fled to the wilderness. He was running from King Saul. King Saul was like, I've got to to kill this guy. I've got to be king forever. I've got to take David out. And so David flees to the wilderness as a place of protection for him. And after weeks and weeks of chasing each other through the hills and fleeing, finally, David's men come to him and say, hey, we know where Saul is. He's in this cave. God has delivered him to you. You should go and do it. Go take him out. And so David sneaks into this cave. And it's funny enough, the Bible says that Saul was peeing. He was relieving himself is what the Bible says. And so what David does is David has an Look, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's okay. So David sees King Saul in this vulnerable position. And has, has to make this decision. I could kill him. I could, all my problems would go away. I could finally be king. But he decides he takes the middle ground. He slices a piece of Saul's robe and then returns to his men. But in verses 5 and 6, the Bible says that his heart was stricken. That he realized that the cycle that God was trying to break, David was trying to perpetuate. The cycle of kings killing kings, killing kings and greed and power. And authority, the thing that God was trying to break down, David was trying to perpetuate. And it was in the wilderness that David realized this and repented. And it was shortly after this that David actually goes to Saul and repents. And there's peace for a while. Guys, there's no way to get the results without the process. There's no way to become the person that God calls you to be without first going through the process. And we have an issue with this because everything is so instantaneous in this culture, right? We see, like, we, we want to do crash diets and we want to get from here to here in two days and, and everything is on demand. 
But when it comes to your, your spiritual growth is not on demand. It requires a process. And you as a believer, if you are going through this wilderness season, do not fight it. Submit to it. Submit to it. Allow God to work you through the process because the wilderness exposes things in your life that you didn't even know were there. You didn't even know you were capable of both good and bad. But it's the wilderness that brings it to light. But the wilderness is a dangerous place. I don't know if we have any uh, campers or hikers or hunters or fishermen. You realize there are some things out there in the wilderness that if you don't know about them, and if you're not careful, they can get you. Snakes, coyotes, poison ivy, right? But when you know about these things, it equips you to, to know what they are and to be able to escape when necessary. And so when it comes to temptations in the wilderness, I think it's only fitting uh, to talk about the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus in the wilderness, it's in, all, uh, it's in three of the four Gospels. And I'm actually going to read this one straight from the vine, if I don't lose everything all the while. It's in Luke chapter 4. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read through Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bible, this is a great time to open it. If you have your app, you can go ahead and scroll there. I'm going to be reading in the ESV. Um, just, it's my preferred, preferred translation. But um, we're going to talk about the temptations of Jesus. And we're going to relate them to our lives and see what we can do to avoid these things. So I'm going to, it's, first off, I'm going to be reading uh, Luke chapter 4. And it says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's the first thing I want you to note there. Jesus was led by the Spirit. And, and I don't really have a lot to preach on this point, but I just wanted to point it out. In the Old Testament, you often see people fleeing into the wilderness. It's very rare that the Spirit leads someone in the wilderness in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, everybody that spends time in the wilderness was led there by the Spirit. God, through Jesus, redeems the wilderness. Isn't that really cool? So number two, verse two, for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And in Matthew, it says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's one more thing I want you to note there. When it comes to temptation, the enemy will almost always tempt your identity. This is what he's doing here to Jesus. If you are the son of God, see, the devil is trying to make Jesus question his own identity. And so when it comes to temptation, they're almost always wrapped around your identity. Well, if you were God's child, you wouldn't be in this position. If God really loved you, you wouldn't have to go through all of this, right? And so we have to ensure that our identity is firmly rooted in who we know to be in Jesus and not in our own strength. Amen? But it says here, the devil pointed at some stones and said, if you are the son of God, I want you to turn these stones into bread. What is the temptation there? Self-reliance. So when it comes to our wilderness experience, we need to ensure 
that we are protecting ourselves against the temptation of self-reliance. In the wilderness, there is always a temptation to rely on yourself and what you know and not on God's strength and his wisdom, right? When you're in a situation and you begin to panic, you always want to say, hey, what can I do to try to get myself out of this situation? But it's the wilderness where God is trying to break that down and show you that it is not about your wisdom. It's not about your strength. I need you to rely completely on me. See, the thing about the stones to bread, Jesus was completely capable of doing that. He was the son of God. He was empowered by the spirit of God. And we later see him doing some wild creative miracles, even multiplying stones and fish to feed thousands of people. So this was in within Jesus's wheelhouse. But one thing that Jesus learned in the wilderness is it's not about what he is able to do. It's about who he relies on. It's about who he relies on. Is he going to, because again, in Matthew chapter four, it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It, It was in the wilderness that Jesus learned it wasn't about him. It was about God. Don't let your giftings get in the way of your calling. Don't let your giftings get in the way of your callings. In other words, don't let what you can do get in the way of what God can do. Amen? Or what my dad, I worked with my dad almost my entire life, and one of the things he would say when I was being really slow or doing something wrong is, man, I got a dime holding up a dollar. You ever heard that before? Right? Yeah, I got a dime holding up a dollar when I was going slow. Don't Try to work your way out of a situation and shoot yourself in the foot when you're supposed to be relying on the Lord. Amen? What's the second temptation? So keep, we keep reading here. And the devil took him up. This is verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, Jesus was tempted with the shortcut. Have you ever been tempted with the easy way out? Right, you're in the thick of it and you know that there's a right way to do it and you know that right way takes more time and it takes more discomfort, but there's a shortcut, right? See, Jesus was tempted with the very thing that he set out to do. The only thing that the devil failed to mention. See, I imagine the conversation like this. See, Jesus, if you bow down and you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. That's what you came here for, right? Like, don't worry about the persecution. Don't worry about the death. We don't have to get, don't even worry about that resurrection. You don't have to go through all that here. Just, I'll give it to you. But the thing is, is had Jesus taken that shortcut, There would be no resurrection. There would be no salvation. There would be no redemption. See, nothing lasting, nothing great comes from taking the easy way out. Guys, we are are averse to discomfort in this culture. As soon as, things, as soon as we begin to feel the pressure, as soon as things begin to get uncomfortable, we're looking for any way out. It's almost like when you step on a dog's tail and they just take off, they start darting, they're trying to find the path of least resistance. And then you feel like a jerk because you're like, man, they don't even know why I did that. They don't even know it was an accident, right? 
Like we, we want to take the path of least resistance, but again, guys, it's through the process that God raises us up and trains us and gives us the skills that we need for the next season of our life. The temptation to skip the wilderness is dangerous because it gives you responsibility without wisdom. It gives you position without power. See, yeah, you can go and try to take by force the things that God has promised you, but you are not equipped to handle them. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the strength. We see that in our own government sometimes. Think about it like this, like a redshirt freshman. It's football season. You ever, does anybody know what a redshirt freshman is? I love watching those guys. So a redshirt freshman in college football is a guy that signs on to play with a team. Um, but the only caveat is this. He has to do all of the practices. He has to suit up for every game. He has to take all the yelling at that everybody else has taken. But he doesn't get to play. He has to sit and he has to watch. But the thing is, is when that redshirt freshman turns into a redshirt sophomore... That entire year that he spent learning the process, that he spent, you know, learning the plays and strengthening and conditioning his body has prepared him to be the all-star his sophomore year. Versus taking the easy way out and going out there and getting, getting your teeth knocked out and getting injuries and not knowing what you're doing right. It was through that process that he was trained to be a good player. And it's through the wilderness, guys. There's no shortcuts. There's no easy way out. If you want to be the person God's called you to be, you've got to do it. What's the final temptation? And this one, I want you to bear with me for a second here because this is, took me a while. This is verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord, the Lord, your God to the test. This is a strange temptation. Has anybody ever been tempted to throw yourself off the top of the church? Almost put, we've got self-reliance, shortcuts, almost said stupidity, the temptation for stupidity. Like, yeah, I'm not going to throw myself off. But the temptation wasn't just for Jesus to get a joyride from angels. I want you to read this very closely. So he could have taken him to any cliff out in the desert that he was in. But where does the devil take him? He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the religious capital for the Jewish people. The temple was probably the busiest place in Jerusalem. The pinnacle of the temple was the highest, most noticeable place in the temple. So it wasn't a random cliff. Hey, Jesus, test yourself. Jump off and see if angels save you. It was like, no, go to the most publicized, the most high traffic area and see what the people think about you when they see the angels come down to catch you. Right? So this wasn't just a temptation to test the Lord. This was the temptation of significance. Because imagine this. Imagine if Jesus would have went to the pinnacle of the temple, thrown himself off, the angels came down and saved him, there would have been no question that he was the Messiah. There would have been no question at all. People would have been like, wow, we definitely saw angels save this man. There's definitely something important about him. There would have been no persecution. There would have been no death. There would have been no resurrection. But there would have been fame for a while. 
There is always a temptation for significance in the wilderness because sometimes what we do is we sit on the sidelines and we see God blessing other people and we see other people being effective in their ministries and in their families and they say, well, like, I want to do that. I want to be known. And the temptation is to trade being known by God for being known by everybody else. If you think about the last hundred years of church history, a lot of stuff has happened in Christianity in that time. We would be pretty hard-pressed to name 50 super influential people in Christianity. It's possible, but the last 10 or so would be difficult. The reason that Christianity is what it is today is not because of the 50 people that we can name. It's because of the millions of people that are sitting in church this Sunday morning that have decided to be obedient to God and would rather be known by God than known by the world. The people that said, you know what? I'm going to choose obedience over fame. I'm not going to gain the whole world and lose my soul. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a temptation to want to be known. We want to post about it. We want to see people doing it. Like we want to see people seeing us doing it because we get that ego boost. But the kingdom of God is not about your ego. It's about saving souls. It's about bringing people into the kingdom of God. And if you have to sacrifice your significance to do it, so be it. You have to fight the temptation for significance. Matthew 16, 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? You can lose your soul in ministry. You can lose your soul doing things for God. Because you're not doing them for God. So those are the temptations that we need to look out for. And then finally, how do you survive the wilderness? How do you survive the season of your life? We learn, hey, it's a good place to be. It means God's growing you. It means God has an amazing plan for your life, amazing next season. But how do you survive? The first thing, don't panic. Don't panic. We get so panicky, right? Like my prayer time hasn't, I haven't cried. I haven't felt goosebumps like the past two weeks when I was praying. What do I do? Don't panic. It's okay, they tell you that. In any sort of survival situation, if you've ever watched any of those things, like Naked and Afraid or anything like that, like, please don't tell me you're watching Naked and Afraid. <laughs> I do watch it sometimes. Because that's wild, though. I mean, that's a whole other sermon. But if you ever watch, like, any, like, Bear Grylls or any of those guys, they'll always tell you, like, if the moment you start panicking is when you lose focus. You lose focus on what God's doing. You begin to experience the pain, but you don't realize that there's a purpose behind the pain. There's nothing more shocking than meaningless pain. And so when you put yourself in a situation of panic during that season, what happens is you're not realizing that God is going to redeem that discomfort. Amen? Amen. So don't panic. When you feel isolated, unfruitful, panic can cause you to give in to temptation. It can cause you to grasp for anything, but what you don't realize, you're, you're grasping on a cactus to save your life and you're hurting yourself more. Don't panic. That's the second thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Guys, keep your eyes on Jesus. You're there for a reason. Be thankful that God cares for you enough to give you this season of training. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12, verses 2 and verse 11. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. See, the, Hebrew ch the, the church that, that Paul was writing to in Hebrews was a highly persecuted church. 
And he says this, we do this by keeping, how do you survive? You keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He initiates it and he's with you during the process to perfect it. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor behind God's throne. How did Jesus endure his wilderness? He kept his eyes on the prize. And what was his prize? You. And the glory that would come from his redemptive process. You gotta keep your eyes on, keep your eyes on Jesus. Verse 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. No form of discipline is enjoyable in the moment. Have I ever been to the gym? This is like some weightlifting in the gym. I did it one time. <laughs> one time. Did it for four months. And I got some pretty good results. But the entire four months I did it, three to four times a week, I hated every minute of it. Every minute of it hurt. You're literally tearing your muscles apart, right? Like, forget about like, hey, you want to go lift weights? Rephrase that, friend. You want to go tear your muscles down until they don't work anymore and you're shaking? That's the real question, right? But it is through the process of tearing that strength is built. No process is enjoyable, no disciplinary process is enjoyable in the moment. But if you stick to it, you reap the harvest in your own life through the way that you live and through the way that God ministers through you. And then finally, guys, allow God to prune you. Allow God to prune you. Pruning hurts. It's literally like if you've ever, if you're a gardener, I'm trying to be a gardener. I'm terrible. Like, I'm bad. But if you're a gardener, you know, like, in order for something to grow, it has to be pruned. And when things don't pr aren't pruned, they don't produce fruit. I have these really, really big flower bushes in my yard. And, like, in my backyard. And they haven't been pruned decades, I would think. They're very old. I can look down. They have st it's like it's an azalea bush with a stump that big. I mean, they haven't been pruned. And so... I had to get a chainsaw yesterday, which was awesome, by the way. Look, ladies, gift tip, husband wants a chainsaw if he doesn't have one, okay? But I got a chainsaw, and I had to, I had to really dig into these things because they weren't producing any flowers. They weren't budding. They weren't doing anything. Guys, if you don't allow Jesus to prune you and to cut unfruitful branches off of you, you will not bear fruit. It doesn't matter how big that branch is. If it hasn't been touched by God, it will not bear fruit. You've got to allow him to prune you. John 15, 2 says he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. In the wilderness season, God is pruning you. He's cut away, cutting away the unnecessary parts and he's cutting away things that you think are necessary for a great harvest in return in your own spiritual life with him. And so my question for you this morning is are you surviving the wilderness? Are you surviving? Are you thriving? Or are you kind of like Israel and you've been in that wilderness a while, right? Just ask yourself, if you are going through that season right now or feel yourself entering into that, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna handle it? Please stand.
I'm going to say a prayer, guys, and I want you to repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. And I thank you that because of your love, you lead me into the wilderness. I pray that while I'm there, that you would strengthen me, that you would prune me, and that you would be with me. I pray that you would protect me from the shortcut, from self-reliance and significance. In Jesus' name, amen. Val, would you close? Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, just visit us at vfcthomasville.org.